27. Acts 14, 19 through 28. It's written. That's a cool ringtone. It's written. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed themselves to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spent and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Here ends the reading of the word of God. Let us go to God in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So there's a lot going on in this scripture today. It really moves a lot. We conclude the end of Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey, that this journey that they were sent on from the Antioch church and they returned to the Antioch church by the end of 14 of the chapter 14 was two years. For two years, they went across the region of Galatia and preaching the gospel and telling them about Jesus. And, and then as they were going through there, it begins with Paul getting stoned. They dragged him out of the city. They thought he was dead. And then he wasn't dead, and then he went back into the city, and then he continued on for another 60 miles to another city, and they preached the gospel. Then on their way back to Antioch, he stopped at all of the cities again and appointed elders through prayer and fasting, setting up leadership in the local churches. And, and it says elders, it says it plural, so that we know that there's a plurality, plurality of leadership within each congregation. It's no one person running the show. Rather, it is a team of people running churches that are set there to do the teaching and the preaching and the caring together. That in this word elders that we'll see throughout the New Testament also translates to the English word bishops, and it also translates to the English word pastors. And so elders, pastors, and bishops are all the same word within the Greek language. But here it says elders, that they appointed through prayer and fasting elders in every one of these cities, and they encouraged them. And then as their journey had finished, they went back to Antioch, the church that they were sent from. And they gathered everybody together and told them about their travels for two years and all that God had done through them. 
And what a successful missionary journey it was. But when we go back and we, I want to hang in verse 19 here for a second, because it, 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 19 and 20 kind of give us an overview, really, of what's been happening in Acts. See, in 19 it says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. Now, last week when we left off, Paul and Barnabas were leaving Iconium. So exactly how did Paul get here to where he had been stoned and left for dead? Well, when they left Iconium, they went to Lystra and there they preached the gospel. And as they were preaching, God gave them the ability to heal a man who was paralyzed as a sign of his power. And when they did so and the man stood up, all of a sudden the crowds around them cheered. How wonderful, how great Paul and Barnabas are. You are Zeus. You are Hermes, giving the names of Greek gods. Paul and Barnabas weren't a fan of the attention. They did not want it for themselves. They said, we are mortal men like you, but we come proclaiming the news of the Messiah. We are not gods by any stretch of the means. And so as they had been receiving all this affirmation and acclamation, if we remember, they had left Iconium because all of a sudden there was a plot against their lives, so they went to Lystra. And if we remember before that, they were in Antioch, Pisidia, and they had left there too when they learned that there was a plot against their lives. Well, it caught up to them. See, the, the Jews who were upset and plotted to kill Paul in Antioch, Pisidia, traveled 110 miles to Lystra to stone him. And, and those that were in Iconium traveled 20 miles to get there. And as they were there, they then convinced this crowd who had proclaimed them Zeus and Hermes, these great gods, all of a sudden turned against them and it became a lynching mob against Paul in which they came with stones already ready. This wasn't a legal action found in the Old Testament. There was no trial in front of a Sanhedrin or in front of a council. They came ready to kill Paul because he preached the gospel. And it reads, but the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. You see, Paul will write a letter to these churches in Galatia, into this region. And in it, he will tell them exactly who he is and give them his bona fides as as a, as a Pharisee, because it was the Jewish people who were mad at him after all. And so as he writes to the churches, he's clarifying, saying, yeah, no, I have the same bona fides of you. In fact, I was a persecutor of the church as well. But when Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians, he says, I am no man pleaser. See, it's important for us to know how these work together, how we see Paul's journey in Galatia, in the region of Galatia work, as well as his letter. He says, I'm no man pleaser. And it's really sound advice for all of us that follow Jesus. That if we're looking for the applause of this world, if we're looking to be called and compared to Zeus and Hermes to be applauded for successes in this world, it's a fickle thing. I mean, look how quickly it was. They were being called Zeus and Hermes, and then in an instant, the crowd was convinced to pick up a stone and throw it at them. From hero to zero in the eyes of the world. And they dragged him out of the city because they supposed he was dead. 
they thought, by stoning Paul, that it was over. No more Paul. No more good news. No more Gentiles being saved. No more division amongst the Jewish people. No more. The end. But when the disciples gathered around him, they thought he was dead too. He rose up. It's Paul jumps up, dusted off, and walks back into the city, gets a great night's rest apparently, because then he's ready the very next day, battered, bruised, and bloody, to walk another 60 miles to go preach the gospel. What we see when we fly at 50,000 feet over the book of Acts, up to this point, we see that it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it breaks down all barriers and it overcomes all obstacles. And we can go back to the day of Pentecost. And we see when they get the power of the Holy Spirit and they go to preach the word, the gospel, to the people that it breaks the barrier of language. That the gospel and good news of Jesus could be understood by everybody gathered. Nobody was left out. That when it came to bringing the gospel to the Samaritans that they believed were half-breeds and not worthy of hearing the good news or deserving of a Messiah, that barrier was broken down as well. That when it came to the barrier of Jews and Gentiles and Peter goes before Cornelius and preaches the good news to Gentiles and accepts their conversion, not requiring them to be Jews first, it breaks the barriers and says there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. The gospel is a barrier-breaking freedom gospel. And we see this throughout Acts. It's exemplified when Paul is stoned and he raises up. It's not a resurrection. It's not a resuscitation. He wasn't dead, but he gets up because the gospel overcomes every obstacle. From the very beginning when there was the 12 of them and they're gathered and it's the day of Pentecost and they're preaching, they were afraid for their lives gathered in a room. And now another festival was happening. But then the Holy Spirit comes and the gospel gives them the power to go and preach. And then when they're brought before the Sanhedrin and they're told to be quiet, they go back and they celebrate and pray for boldness to continue speaking. When their lives are threatened by Saul and they see the stoning of Stephen, one of their deacons. The obstacle of persecution is overcome. It does not stop the gospel. When they're spread out and spread thin and no longer gathered in the city of Jerusalem, but now throughout the countryside and going across the world, it does not stop the gospel because they aren't in one place. And when Paul meets face to face with stones throwing at him, it does not stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it breaks down every barrier and overcomes every obstacle. Because that's exactly what Jesus said would happen. Because it's exactly who Jesus is. And we can go to the Gospel of John. And in the first chapter, verse 5, the Apostle John writes, The light shines in the darkness, 
and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light of the world. And what we have in us is the good news of Jesus Christ that cannot be stopped. That overcame the very darkness in our own lives. Jesus says these words in the Gospel of John in the third chapter. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born again, a new birth given to those who believe in Jesus Christ, that His light comes and dwells within our heart and overcomes all of the darkness, overcomes the sin and the dark, the sin and death, and we stand in the victory of Jesus because of what He has accomplished for us. We, because of Christ, are overcomers. Jesus also says this in chapter 8, verifying everything else. He says again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We see Paul get stoned and dragged out of the city, left for dead. And then he jumps up and it demonstrates the power of, of the light against evil and darkness. It demonstrates the power of Christ's love against sin and death. That darkness will not overcome the love of Christ. That evil will not stop the gospel. And that sin is no match for the love of Jesus Christ. In fact, we would be quite arrogant to sit here and believe that our sin was too big for Jesus to forgive. Oh, what a foolish thought that would be. For the cross is supreme and sufficient. That when Jesus died, he died for sins past, present, and future. That he came and paid the ultimate price that we may be rescued and set free. When we are given a new birth, when we are born again, as the scripture tells us, we are born again. We have been born and overcome with light, with the gospel. Our sin is overcome. It's washed away by his blood. Now, it does not mean that the rest of our lives, from the time we come to faith in Jesus Christ, will be roses and rainbows. That's not what is promised. And in fact, if you have been in this Christian life for more than uh, two days, you would come to understand that what we get is not all roses and rainbows, that it is to be perfect the rest of our lives. In fact, what we are promised is suffering. Because as Paul and Barnabas circle back to the churches and as they're appointing the elders and they're encouraging the churches, they teach them and they say to them in verse 22 that through many tribulations, sufferings, we must enter the kingdom of God. Suffering 
is what we get. Suffering like Christ. For Jesus says in John 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I've come and given you peace. We call it a peace that passes all understanding. Because in those moments of our various trials and tribulations and the different sufferings that manifest in our lives, as Christians, we face them with a peace. For we have a sure hope. We can sit and stand with joy found in Christ Jesus, knowing he is the light that cannot be overcome by the darkness. Knowing that though we may have trials and tribulations, that we may suffer in this moment, that death does not have the final word on us, but that we have been promised through Jesus Christ New life, free of suffering, free of pain, free of sickness, free of illness, joyfully in the glory of the Father in heaven. Whatever comes our way, we can look to eternity and say this, this suffering is but for a moment. See, Paul writes to the church in Rome that he didn't get to visit and he was planning to get there. In the eighth chapter, he says, and if children, talking about believers in Jesus, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. See, we have a Savior who understands our sufferings. For on our behalf, he suffered the brutality of the cross. He shed his blood so that we may be ransomed and set free. And that we can sing, I am a child of God. Yes, I am. And so we know that at the same time that we have suffering in our lives, and that it will be part of our life. We are given the Holy Spirit. Part of the triune God that dwells within us. And the Holy Spirit has the power to overcome our sins, our worries, our anxieties, the evil and the darkness. See, John writes in his first letter in the fifth chapter, he says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And Paul would continue on when he's talking to the Romans about suffering and that future glory. And that later in that eighth chapter, he goes and says, not only are we overcome, overcomers, no, in verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors 
more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. This is why we have a peace that passes all understanding. That there is nothing, there's no trial, there's no tribulation, there's no suffering that can separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. For he is the light and the darkness cannot overcome it. That God will never leave us nor forsake us. And so we can go in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our tribulation, in the midst of our trials, and we can stand with hope that we can find joy that is true because we are more than conquerors. We are overcomers with Christ Jesus. For it is Him who lives and reigns forever. But in those moments, we pray. We pray for deliverance. We pray for protection. We pray for healing, and we pray for all kinds of help. Amazingly, at times we see and hear God's yes to our persistent prayers. And at other times we're frustrated that we see and hear God's no. But friends, we don't get to say what God knows is best for us here and now. But because of Jesus Christ, that we are never separated from the love of God, that we will never be forsaken or pushed aside, we can trust wholly with our entire lives that no matter what happens, we know God is working it for our ultimate good and his ultimate glory. It's because of Jesus we have this trust. It's because of the gospel that overcomes all obstacles and breaks down all barriers. We can and will overcome the darkness, both within and without. See, in Christ, life will swallow up death. In Christ, light will consume all darkness. We know and we can trust that while we may feel overwhelmed by the darkness, we will never be consumed by it. For the scripture says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for being a great light that cannot be overcome by darkness. We give you thanks for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that shines light in the dark places in our lives. May the Holy Spirit encourage us and remind us to trust wholly in you, O God, 
that no matter what comes our way, neither death nor life nor anything in all creation will ever separate us from your love. We praise you and thank you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, who is our Master. Amen.